Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm your host, Chase Krauss. Let's dive in. What up, y'all? I hope everybody had a fantastic Thanksgiving. I took a week off last week because it was Thanksgiving and I wanted to eat all of the good food. So that's what I did. I ate all the good food. And you know what? It was great. Um, <laughs> definitely had a bit of a food coma, but hey, you know, praise the good Lord for form.org and Brother Francis entertaining my toddler with Jesus fun facts. If you haven't checked that out, check it out. They don't sponsor me or anything, even though that'd be dope. So if anybody works for form.org wants to sponsor this, that'd be sweet. Uh, but this is just Brother Francis, a cute show there for, for little ones. Um, so yeah, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We are picking up where we left off with our Galatians Bible study today. And so we are diving into Galatians chapter four. So as always here on Catholics with Bibles, we begin with a Greek word of the day. So the Greek word of the day today is patros. So this is the Greek word for father. And so Paul's going to use it today uh, here in Galatians chapter four. Uh, this is the root word of the word uh, like uh, patriarchy, patrimony, pa- patros. Uh, so yeah, so it's a uh, pater, right? It's another way you can say it in Latin. Um, so Patros is just, yeah, it's the word for uh, father in good old Greek because Greek's awesome and it's just fantastic. Um, and anyway, so we were going to hear it today in uh, Galatians 4 here. So we're going to do our best to get through the entire chapter today. Uh, so that way we can uh, be in a good place uh, next week to begin the last section of Galatians here. So this uh, chapter of Galatians 4 we're going to be really zooming in for Paul on this idea of sonship. We talked about it a bit last time, but this idea that the people of Israel and, the, and people in general, humanity in general, are truly children of God. And he uses a really beautiful analogy that we're going to read to just here in a second. And then from there, Paul's going to change his tone. So, if you've been following along this, this Bible study, we've discussed a couple of times that Paul's pretty harsh with the Galatian community. He's, he's, you know, the gloves are off. He's not merely messing around. He's kind of ticked off with these circumcision party peeps. Um, but this chapter, we see a bit of a change in tone with St. Paul. So St. Paul is going to change from a, a, you know, a tone of kind of harsh bluntness correcting them, edifying them to more of a one of concern, right? He's still correcting, he's still edifying, but it's definitely going to, we're going to hear that. And then finally, at the end of this chapter, we're going to get this, um, this allegory that St. Paul is going to talk about with uh, Hagar and Sarah. We're going to get to that in a little bit. So let's dive in now with Galatians 4.1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir 
through God. So just just beautiful, beautiful verses here. Uh, St. Paul uses similar language in Romans, Romans 8. And so this idea of sonship. So this this illustration that he uses is is one that was pretty common in Greek society. It wouldn't have been unheard of uh, because what happened uh, was when uh, a landlord or anybody had had children, the children were put under a guardian, a custodian, if you will. Um, and so this guardian custodian was usually a slave, like a household slave. Uh, and the the sons or the the children were basically, I mean, they were they didn't have any rights to property. They didn't have any, you know, uh, right to inheritance at this point while they're still under a guardian. The father had to decide when the child was ready to be released from guardianship, right? Released and to become a full-fledged Greek adult, right? Greek adult, because until that happens, they don't have any rights to the inheritance. They couldn't, you know, they they were under the father. They were under the... and furthermore, they're under the father's guardian. And so St. Paul's saying, you know, up until the point where Jesus came, humanity was under a guardian, right? So we were no better than slaves. And what were we slaves of? We were slaves of these uh, elemental principles, right? Uh, or elemental spirits. So these, uh, one way to look at it is just like earth, wind, fire, elemental spirits. Another way, kind of in context here, it's more, we understand it as more as like the negative evil spirits um, that uh, tempt humanity, right? So up until this point, we were slaves. We were, even though we were sons in a certain respect, we were, we were slaves, right? We were under this guardian, right? Um, in a certain sense too, uh, the, the, the Old Testament law was our guardian, but remember that St. Paul talks about elsewhere that, um, that this law was uh, the law of death, right? It didn't bring life. It brought death. Not that it was bad, right? Not that it was bad, but it, it wasn't what God ultimately wanted. It was just simply a custodian, a, something to try to protect the people of Israel in particular, uh, to, to make sure they protect them against falling into idolatry and the worship of other false gods, which we hear about all the time that they did in the Old Testament anyway. But the remnant were saved, right? The remnant were saved. Through, uh, because the law protected them, because they trusted in God, they had faith in God. Enabling Abraham, right, which Paul always refers back to, Abraham was saved through faith, right, um, and not through circumcision. So we were, verse 3, right, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. So this is actually one of the, the only time or one of two times that Paul references Mary. So, um, and obviously he just says born of a woman, right? And we just know that that is Mary. And so a lot of times um, our non-Catholic brothers and sisters will read this and read Paul in general and say, listen, Paul didn't really care about Mary. Like he didn't really, he didn't have this big, you know, honor for Mary and Paul being like the apostle. Um, so therefore we don't have to have any kind of reverence or honor for Mary either. Um, now we're not going to get into Mariology and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but I, I think anybody who thinks that argument through sees that it's illogical because 
one, we don't actually know what Paul thought of Mary. He doesn't denounce her anywhere and he doesn't talk about her overly anywhere because he didn't need to, right? That wasn't an issue that he was dealing with at the time. Um, but here he does reference Mary. I mean, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. So this is really important for us to understand. It's the idea of adoption, right? In uh, the Roman Greek world, this is something that I think we can understand intuitively, but it, but it's sometimes it's hard because I think it, it, unless you have an adopted sibling or if you've adopted yourself, it's hard to understand. So uh, I have an adopted little brother. His name's Nate. We adopted it. My family adopted him from Guatemala when he was a baby. And he's just part of the family, right? He's just part of the family. He is our, my brother. Um, I don't see him any other way. If my parents passed away for some reason, he would still be my brother and me and my older sister would take care of him, do whatever we need to do. And for the Romans, right? This was our sense of adoption is, is very much true, but it also had a lot of legal weight. So whenever someone was adopted in, in Rome, Roman culture, it was a huge deal, right? It was such a big deal that an, imp, an emperor, right? A Caesar, could, if he adopted a son, he could make that adopted son his heir and successor, right? So the, the legal obligations of adoption were so serious, right? Partly because you chose it, right? You couldn't abandon a child after you adopted him, right? It, it's kind of weird. So in Rome, we know that they, that babies were abandoned in like gutters and stuff from uh, from either poverty or just the parents didn't want the girl or whatever it is. And we know that Christians uh, saved these babies and that's how kind of orphanage started. But for the Roman law, you really, you weren't allowed to do that with adoption. If you adopted somebody and if you abandoned the child, if you tried to murder the child, that was actually like punishable, right? Because in the Roman law, you chose to adopt this child, right? You chose it, you were involved in it. And so that child had all the legal rights of uh, a blood heir, right? A blood heir. And so why then is adoption strictly necessary for us as Christians, right? Why is this, why is this idea of adoption so important for us to understand? And we might've talked about this on the podcast before, now, I won't get into it uh, too in-depthly here, but I, it is important to talk about because this is literally what this passage is about. So in the Old Testament, we have a few references of God as Father, right? Uh, Isaiah has a couple. Um, Deuteronomy, I think, has one or two. And but it's, it's not a lie. It's, it's, a, it's really a handful. And it's, it's, and it's a fatherhood understand. In the, understood in the idea of, you know, God created. So in that sense, he is father to all creatures and all, everything that is created. Um, but it is impossible for it not to be a metaphor in the Old Testament. Why do I say that? Well, God, being God, has a divine nature. So what he is, is, is himself. He, he is. He is divine. We have a human nature, which is infinitely different than the divine nature. And rocks have the nature of a rock. Trees have tree natures. And the, the, the difference between our nature and the nature of a rock is pretty significant. But the difference between our nature and God's nature, his divine nature, is, even, is, is infinitely more 
right? It is, it is incomparable almost, right? And so that being said, in the Old Testament, they, they understood this to a certain degree and they recognized that while God is a father, metaphorically speaking, and in the sense that he created everything, he's not literally the father of Israel. Like he didn't, he didn't generate them, right? As his biological children. Okay. Now we know through Christ, through revelation, that God is Trinity, three persons, one nature, the divine nature. And so the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the son of God, the word of God in his incarnation, who he is doesn't change. So we know that Jesus Christ two natures, one person, right? One person, two natures. So even in his humanity, he's not a human person. He's a divine person with a human nature. So even in his humanity, who is he? He is the son of God. He is the word. He is the second person of the Trinity, even in his humanity, right? It's, it's, it's actually heretical to say that Jesus was a human person. And I know that sounds weird, because we think of, like, oh, he's a person. But no, he's a divine person with a human nature. It's actually a heresy to say Jesus was a human person. I know it's splitting hairs a little bit, but it's important. We should know that. So adoption, why is it so important? Well, we are literally not the biological children of God, right? Because our natures are just, they're infinitely different. But God became man so that we could become what he is by nature, children of God. So by nature, Jesus is the son of God. And by grace, adoption, through the humanity of Jesus Christ, we become children of God through baptism, right? So it's the same Paul is saying here. So the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. So the divine person, took on the human nature, born under the law, born under the, the, the nation of Israel's law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So this is an extremely important verse. Because St. Paul talks about elsewhere in, in 1 Corinthians 9 and other places that you can you should run just to obtain the crown, the imperishable crown. But there, there's an idea that not everybody who runs the race finishes. So, and Jesus talks about too in, in, in the gospels how, you know, the way is broad and, you know, the road is easy that leads to you know, perdition and the road is narrow and the road is hard that leads to eternal life. And so this idea of, well, you know, there's a, especially amongst non-Catholics, this idea of universalism or not even universalism, but the fact that if you're baptized, you're automatically saved. Once saved, always saved. Well, it doesn't really compute with the, with the entire gospel. Why? Well, in a certain sense, they're right. You can never lose your, your sonship, if you will. Once you're a son, you're a son or daughter, whatever. Once you're a child of God, you're a child of God. But you can lose your inheritance. Let's look back here. So that we receive adoptions as sons. And because you are a son, God has sent the spirit 
of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son of God. And if a son, then an heir through God. So your sonship, you being a child of God, through the grace of God, you, you then are, through the Spirit, empowered to receive the inheritance, namely heaven. But, parable of the prodigal son, you can squander your inheritance. You can renounce your inheritance. You can say, I don't want that, God. I want what I want now. And that's, I mean, that's what mortal sin is, right? It's saying, I know what you're offering me, God, but I want this pleasure now. And I refuse you. I reject you. I reject my inheritance, even though I am a son. So that's why all the parables say, you know, Jesus says uh, to those who have more have been given, you know, more is to be expected, right? Because the more you know, the more you love, the more grace you've received, the more accountable you are to your actions and words. So while you can never lose your sonship, you can lose your inheritance, right? But praise God that we've even been given this idea of sonship, that through the humanity of Jesus Christ and through us putting on the humanity of Jesus Christ, through our baptism, we can cry out, Abba, Father. And at that point, it's not a pretty metaphor. At that point, it's not just an analogy. At that point, you are literally a child of God through the humanity of Jesus Christ, a humanity that we share, we have a human nature. And it's through his humanity, because he is still the same person that we have put on Christ. We've been clothed with Christ and therefore can truly call God father. There's a lot of theology that, you know, there in that, in a lot, in, you know, 15 minutes we've been talking so far. Um, it's a lot more I can be said. There's a really good book called Jesus the Christ by Wine Andy. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, it's a fantastic book if you want to know more about Christology and all this stuff. But we got to move on. So we're going to go to uh, verse 8 through 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary spirits of the world? Those slave, whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. 
So this is this is Paul kind of bearing out his heart. We we hear, we feel the anguish he's suffering. Why? Because there's the, he's telling the Galatians, he just told them, you're sons of God who are crying out, Abba, Father, truly made sons of God, who are literally, you can call God Father through Jesus Christ and through his spirit dwelling in you. Yet, they want to turn back to what? Well, he, in verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years, namely the circumcisers, the circumcision party is telling them that they have to obey the calendar law of the Old Testament. And the ceremonial law, if you will. Remember, circumcision, calendar, diet, the ceremonial law. And he's saying, why do you want to go back under slavery? It doesn't make sense. You're already sons of God. That The ceremonial law no longer applies to you. Why are you doing this to yourself? And he says in verse 17, they, the circumcision party, make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that they, that you may make much of them. So what's he saying there? They want to make you feel lower than you are. Why? Because you're Gentiles and you're not part of the tribes of Israel, right? It's the circumcisers. There's, some, there's pride there, St. Paul says. They're saying they want themselves to be the leaders of this new church, right? That saying how, oh, we're the pure-blooded Christians, a descendant of the tribes of Israel, God's chosen people, and we're letting you into the party, but like, understand your place that you're, you're, you're just Gentiles. You're, you know, while you're, you're, you're here, we're the truly the descendants of Israel, right? So the circumcisers, they want control of the Gentiles. They want to almost put them in their place, if you will. And Paul's saying, why would you go back under that kind of slavery? Why would you do that? You have the spirit of God dwelling in you. It doesn't make any sense. St. Paul, you know, is just confused at this point, right? He says, I am perplexed about you. And he says, I'm in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's, he, he, we, we, we understand this analogy. I mean, if you have kids, you definitely understand this analogy um, and it's a metaphor. Uh, if you don't, uh, you've seen probably a movie or something with somebody giving childbirth, have heard about it, talked about it. It is a process, y'all. It's, a, it's a not a nice thing to go through. It's painful. It hurts. Yet the joy of the, the, the result is that you have a beautiful son or daughter, right? So St. Paul's saying, you know, when I've, I've, gave, I've given birth to you once already, it, it was not fun. You know, you took care of me. I was sick. I preached to you. You know, I even vouched for you guys. Like you would have given, ripped out your own eyes for me if, if that was necessary. Yet all my work has been in vain, apparently, because you're going back under the law, which I saved you from, or Christ has saved you from. And he says, I have, now I have to go through this all over again. I have to go through ch- the pain of childbirth all over again. He's perplexed. He's hurt. He's confused. And so with that, he, he goes into the, the allegory of Hagar and Sarah, as we're going to end with real quick. So we're going to read uh, 21 through the end of the chapter, verse 31. So tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it was written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, 
Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who has, was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. The quote there is from Isaiah 54. So, what's this allegory telling us? Well, kind of like I mentioned, uh, so for Ishmael, the son, of, the son of Hagar, he persecuted Isaac, wanted the inheritance for himself, was upset when Isaac took it, or when it was given to him. And so, like them, like so St. Paul's saying, like that, the the quote unquote children of the flesh, Israel, right? These circumcisers, they're trying to persecute you. You are the children of the promise. Right. Isaac. And so just kind of breaking down this allegory of Hagar and Sarah. Well, let's look at Hagar and her children, right? So Hagar was a slave woman. She bears children for slavery. She's in she is in slavery with her children. She's from Mount Sinai, corresponding with Jerusalem of Paul's day, so associated with circumcisers. Her son Ishmael, born according to the flesh, so implied the circum. This is implying that the circumcisers are according to the flesh as well. Uh, Ishmael persecuted Sarah's son Isaac, just like like I said, like the circumcisers persecuting Gentile believers. And then finally, there's a covenant based on law and associated with the circumcisers. So that's that's kind of for the allegory. That's that's Hagar. Now for Sarah, she's a free woman. So therefore her children are free. She's free, therefore the mother of believers. And once again, her children are her free children. So she, St. Paul says, is a corresponds to the Jerusalem above, right? And these are the children whose, whose children are more numerous, numerous, more numerous than the earthly Jerusalem. Her son Isaac was born through the promise, Right? And he was born according to the spirit, just like the, the Gentiles are of, of Galatia. So they, like I said, Isaac was persecuted by Hagar, just like the current Gentiles have been persecuted by uh, the circumcisers. And so this is a covenant based on the promise. So namely the new covenant, Christ's covenant associated with Paul. So this is the allegory. So, say, so Paul's saying, it's kind of an insult too. So if, if any circumcisers are hearing this, they're kind of ticked off because St. Paul just called them Hagar and Ishmael. And biologically, they're technically descendants of Isaac. But St. Paul's saying, nope, 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 nope. You are not. You're basically just Ishmael, um, who was the father of, of one of the main enemies of, of Israel. Um, so this is, this is chapter four, wrapping it up here. Basically, St. Paul is trying to convince the Galatians to not go back under the Old Testament, or to under the old law, the ceremonial law that the circumcisers are trying to put them back under. Why? Because they're children of the promise. They don't call God father metaphorically. It's not just a pretty thought. He is truly their father. And the spirit dwells in our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. This is in terms of something you know, us to chew on here. You know, meditating upon your sonship. The fact that you are made sons in the son, as Scott Hahn says especially during this Advent season. Happy Advent, by the way. I don't think I've said that. 
Christmas coming up. Why is Christmas such a big deal? Because the son of God took on our humanity. God became man so that man could become God. St. Thomas Aquinas would say. Not that we kind of take on the divine nature, right? We don't become divine. We, we keep our human nature, but rather we're united to the person of Jesus Christ through his humanity. And that's only possible because he became a human for us, born under the law, born of a woman to redeem those who have been lost. So praise God for his goodness, y'all. Next week, we'll be diving into Galatians 5. Thank you so much for joining us on Catholics with Bibles. We will see you next time. All right, y'all. So thank you, thanks again for joining me with Catholics with Bibles. My name is Chase Krause, and it's been a ride, man. It's been crazy. 2020 is almost over, and we've been doing this since March. And so thank you so much for all your support, all your love. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please talk about us with your friends and your family. Give us a review on whatever you're listening to, Apple Music, Spotify, whatever. It helps people find us easier. Uh, share it on your social media. Give us a review email your boss about us, do whatever it does. Um, anyway, y'all happy Advent. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time.